there was some controversy about this because they used an AI app to record some of Anthony Bourdain's writing in his voice. I wasn't aware of that. I did wonder where they got some of the voiceover from. That is news to me. I mean, how do you feel about that being used? I think that's a shame if they did that, unless they used it very, very sparingly for the odd word, because Mm. it seems like Bourdain was a figure who valued veracity so much above Mm. all else. Welcome to Geek Sweat. This is Dom's Docs, the section where I, King Dom, talk about documentaries of note you should see. And I am joined by our regular guest, Trevor TJ Jones. Howdy. Thanks for having me back on, King Dom. Always a pleasure. So today we are talking about the documentary from 2021 about the late chef, Anthony Bourdain, which is called Roadrunner. So, TJ, this was actually one of your suggestions. So what was it that drew you to this documentary? Yeah, I feel like uh, we had to reserve a table for this documentary. Uh, This is a a Michelin star uh, restaurant chef, but also a kind of rock and roll star kind of of the American culture and history. I think the thing about Anthony Bourdain is I didn't really know about him being a UK resident and more familiar with chefs such as Heston Blumenthal, Gordon Ramsay, Keith Floyd. I I never really thought about American food culture, but it seems that this particular person, as somebody who's lived an extraordinary life, he's been a former heroin addict, he's been a jiu-jitsu master, he's been a best-selling author with the New York Times. He's also uh, been a world traveller and he's also had a TV series. And it seems that anything that he put his mind to was something that he could easily achieve. The tragedy of the story is that his life ended seemingly too soon and he had unfortunately died of a suicide on the 8th of June 2018 at the age of 61 while on location in France uh, as he was recording a project called Parts Unknown. But I think this documentary does a really good job of trying to explain the person behind the headline. Yeah, absolutely. I think someone could go into this documentary completely cold and get a really strong impression of Anthony Bourdain's personality and this is built up through the archive footage of Bourdain himself. He was a TV presenter um, and even before he was a TV presenter there were documentaries about him because he was an author Mm. and this is interspersed with some home movie footage as well and Mm. interviews with his friends and family members and loved ones. So altogether it builds up a very complete picture I would say more satisfyingly so than many other documentaries of a similar style. Mm. And the other thing as well is we shouldn't uh, forget about his stature as a man because this is somebody who was like 1.93 metres tall. Now, if I do my maths, uh, I think that works out as, let me see, 12, 24, 36, 48, 60. This is a guy who's like six foot three six foot four and he was a handsome man he looked after himself he seemed to have a lot of charisma so some people even calling him like the James Bond of the restaurant business to some extent because 
in his younger days, he had dark hair and he's quite an impressionable fella. Yeah, absolutely. He um, seemed to be charismatic in every way because he was good looking. Uh, Latterly, he took care of himself. Mm. Ironically, the obsessive personality that led him to what looked like a cigarette addiction and a heroin addiction Mm. also led him to get obsessively into Taekwondo and be in very good physical shape. Mm. Although, arguably, um, his obsessive personality also led to very dark episodes in his life. But he was good-looking and also very charismatic, intelligent, um, observant as well. Mm. And um, I think um, at one point in the film, he said his best quality was his curiosity. Yeah. Or I think he said it more self-deprecatingly. He said it was his only good quality. Yeah. And the other thing as well I thought about the documentary is this isn't just a story about a man uh, struggling with his own demons or a man who's trying to educate himself about cultures around the world. It felt like we were getting an insight into the creative process and the creative mind and what it means to live like a genius and explore new things and be on the cutting edge of your industry. Yeah, I think so. Um, It was um, a film about someone who felt very restless, I think, Mm. especially after his life started to change. Yeah. Um, Because as Bourdain described it, he um, was a dishwasher initially. He took a dead-end job as a dishwasher, which Mm. became being a cook, which turned into being a chef, which turned into being a head chef. Yeah. And finally, he was the head chef at a very acclaimed restaurant he sent an email to a friend describing Tokyo the first time he visited it yeah. on a work trip. And um, his friend was so impressed with this email that it led to the email being shown to a publisher, which led to a book deal. Yeah. And he wrote a book. So he became an author almost by accident. Yeah. But from then on, that led to him doing travel programs, which mm. also came about because of mm. his book yeah. and wasn't something he pursued. Yeah. But then it kind of ignited a restlessness in him, yeah. which hadn't existed before. Mm. I think there was one interesting thing about the writing side of his life, which was, I think before he gets the book deal, there seems to be some archive footage in a documentary about his routine that he used to wake up and go to the study and smoke a cigarette before he'd even brushed his teeth. And he would like have a go at hammering away at the word processor for maybe half an hour, an hour before he'd got up and really got about the house, got breakfast and got ready to go out. So it seems like the drive was always there within him to do something creative. The drive was there, but it was allied to what seemed to be a very strong or unvarying routine. Mm. So what is unusual is once he became well known, his routine was kind of shattered. Yeah. And he didn't have maybe that anchor. Yeah. And at the same time, his first marriage, which we're told lasted nearly 30 years, ended. Yeah. Mm. So he lost a lot of the things that he relied on or knew, his marriage, his job, yeah. his routine outside of that. And that was replaced with a kind of almost obsessive restlessness. Yeah. I mean, when you saw this documentary, did he remind you of any people or characters, either in the food industry or the creative industry, who has had that kind of series of setbacks but still wants to go forward? In a way, he's kind of a almost unique figure, definitely in cooking. I can't think of any celebrity chefs who remotely remind me of uh, Anthony Bourdain. Mm. 
you think about someone like Gordon Ramsay. Ramsay. Yeah, yeah. He's the obvious go-to. Gordon Ramsay is kind of a pantomime villain in some ways. Do you think a character like Anthony Bourdain, considering um, the release of his book, Kitchen Confidential, which I think came out in 2000, do you think he's paved the way or made more space for people to behave like Gordon Ramsay and be yeah, a bit Yeah, in more some ways, although that's not what he did. But, yeah, I would say the difference is Gordon Ramsay is an entertainer and mm. when he's on TV, he's definitely playing a persona. Yeah. There is a disconnect between his real-life personality, mm. which I suspect is much more low-key than what he presents on screen. Mm. So the way Gordon Ramsay sees it, he probably goes to work and plays this persona and then switches out of it again. Mm. Whereas with Anthony Bourdain, he really was putting himself out there. There was a kind of sincerity to everything that he did, which I guess is why people were so moved when he died. Yeah, and I think one of his struggles, to touch on your point again, is it seemed like he gave a lot of his self and maybe didn't know how much of himself he was giving to his work and to the public. And it looks like there were times where he just wanted to go back to being plain old Anthony, the guy who used to like sweep floors in the kitchen and just be on his own. But he, he never was able to put himself back in that box again. Of course, it was a double-edged sword because his restlessness and the obligation to make these films pushed him to some really extraordinary places both Mm. mentally and physically he traveled to so many different countries he saw war zones yeah he ate some incredible food and some frankly disgusting seeming food yeah like notoriously a live cobra well not live it's just been killed but it was raw i think it was a snake's heart and its entrails whilst yeah, it was the snake's heart was still, whilst it was the heart was still beating because i think in the documentary he says something like um or from the archive footage of him doing it he says something like he can still feel the heart pulsing as it was going down his throat which i thought was a bit much that that was a little bit much i think that was from the early days of his show in the early days it did have a slightly like jackass macho man versus food quality yeah yeah. and eventually that was overtaken by you know anthony bourdain's own personality which is more thoughtful more questing sure and i think in the end food became kind of secondary and it became about meeting people the human condition almost it became quite philosophical what i liked about this documentary was it was very wholesale it covered a lot of the bases a lot of the personal stuff a lot of the dark areas of his life and um just to kind of tap into the director who was morgan neville apparently he's done like big name biographies before so he's uh previously directed sydney poitier the defiant one brian wilson a beach boy's tale he's also done Johnny Cash, a documentary about him in if 2008. Nothing else, he has got excellent taste. Exactly. Um, Search and Destroy, Iggy and the Stooges, Raw Power, another documentary about them. He's even got his name in, as producer on things like Best of Enemies and Won't You Be My Neighbour, which is a, and 20 Feet from Stardom, which is a story about backing singers of like famous pop groups and rock bands. So a perfect pedigree. Mm. I think it's... Um, a kind of track list that um, Anthony Bourdain himself would have approved of. Yeah, yeah. And I'm kind of grateful for the access to it because I did feel like even though he's not with us and maybe a lot of the footage was been repurposed, 
it really felt he was part of the documentary and not just um, a background story for people to do. Yes, to. apparently um, there was some controversy about this because they used an AI app mm. to record some of Anthony Bourdain's writing in his voice. Sure. I wasn't aware of that. I did okay. wonder where they got some of the voiceover from. Wow. Okay, that is news to me. I mean, how do you feel about um, that being used? I think that's a shame if they did that, unless they used it very, very sparingly for yeah. the odd word, because mm. it seems like Bourdain was a figure who valued veracity so much above mm. all else. Yeah. So to have that little element in there that isn't quite true or is a reconstruction, mm. I think that's a pity. Yeah. But there was an element in the um, documentary where... He seemed to do more and more work in front of the camera as he was being this kind of travel guide and a food expert around the world. But he always kept referring to his uh, film influences and trying to recreate some of the scenes and characters through the experience he was having on his travels as well. Yeah, especially Apocalypse Now, which is probably a film like lots of people feel they've lived in because it's yeah. such an immersive film. mm mm and that pertained to his trip to Vietnam and um, probably the feeling of a small crew being yeah. them against the world. Sure. But um, I would say there was one really good cut. It wasn't a film reference. Sure. It was just a really nicely done cut in the film, okay. which was a shot of Anthony Bourdain and um, some people in an Asian country and yeah. they just slaughtered a pig. And yeah. his like, feet were in the blood of yeah. the pig. Yeah. And then it cut the red carpet at Cannes yeah. and the high heels in the red carpet. Yeah, yeah, It was yeah. such a good cut. Yeah. Francis Ford Coppola would have been proud of that cut. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the use of the footage was very meaningful because um, when I saw that shot, um, it was a great transition, but it also reminded me of the early shot in the beginning where he's sitting on the floor um, and he's in his chef's smock and jeans and he's trying to place an order for um, some limited edition ingredients and he's kind of complaining and it's a professional complaint that he's on time his cooks are on time his uh, staff workers are on time but the guy who delivers the fish is always late and you could kind of see how hard he was struggling to kind of make his art in food as it were work and to kind of go from that in the documentary to him being, I think it was Vietnam, you said, um, I think he killed a tiger with a spear. He was killing a live fish. And it was like, it was almost like he'd removed all the, uh, let's say, red tape and bureaucracy of what it's like to work in the food industry. And he was getting closer to something tribal even. Yeah, he kind of embraced all aspects of travel because mm. he embraced the tribal thing, for want of a better word. And he also embraced something more similar to what most travellers experience, like checking into hotel rooms yeah. endlessly and mm. recording that. He seemed to like the process of travel, like the monotony, plane flights and all of that. Mm. The, the thing is, I mean, he liked a lot of things, but there was another side to him, which I wouldn't say it was sinister, but it was almost like sacrificed as a part of his rise to fame in culture as it were which was his family life um because the more time he spent on the road the less time he spent with the family and it became this kind of vicious cycle of when he was at home he was missing being on the road and when he was on the road he was yearning to go back home again and yes. he never quite 
got settled. How did that make you feel? That was, yeah, that was very interesting. This is his second marriage to Ottavia Bourdain. Mm. And um, he had a young daughter from his second marriage. Yeah. And for a time, he seemed to be really happy and embracing a traditional domestic life, which is something he had a yearning for. Sure. But then, as he said, he was on the road for 200 days a year. Mm. It seemed to be a, a paradox yeah. that um, he would dream about going home when he was on the road, but then when he was home, he would dream about going out. Yeah. Just starting travelling again. And he even expressed that to um, some of his friends, like Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age, yeah. who, as a touring musician, yeah. had a similar kind of mindset so it was an interesting insight because mm, yeah josh homer said in like he was um he's been on tour ever since he was 18 years old to kind of show how far his career goes back it seems like he's got a lot of influences from people around him because what i noticed as well is like otavia busia i think her name is she was the original martial artist in the family and it was through her sharing her joy or love of that that he became interested in it as well yeah, and then he couldn't just, you know, support her. He had to take it up himself to the yeah, extent yeah, yeah. that he became a Taekwondo champion. Yeah, 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 as you do. Yeah, so that just shows he had a completely obsessive personality, but mm. also many, many talents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there anything that you felt was really out of the ordinary in his lifestyle, like considering who he was and what he'd done? The biggest revelation if you don't know about him was that he was a heroin addict and that kind of is a window into everything else that happens because now we understand that mm. he has this obsessive personality one of Anthony Bourdain's other friends an artist called David Cho actually talks about this mm. and he says that um, when he first talked to Bourdain about his addiction he said that he'd beaten it, but in fact, he just replaced it with a different addiction. Mm. And we can see that now yeah. in retrospect. He had a series of addictions. Mm. The thing is, I, I, there was one thing that I was confused with about Anthony Bourdain, which is like there is a line between the illusion of who he was and the reality of who he was. And I think that's probably why the suicide came as such a shock. But I didn't understand whether his previous heroin addiction was something that he was vocal about in his day-to-day -day life or it's something that he kept private to himself because it was his battle and it was his thing to deal with. Because if you look at a lot of his interviews, or at least the interviews that were sourced uh, for the documentary, they always re respond to his successes and his next adventure and what he's going to do. And they never quite delve into that darker half of his life and it was only like latterly in a documentary that you see him doing these kind of anonymous circles as it were which wasn't really anonymous because there's people on camera I kind of wondered was that a real like NA meeting that he was at or addiction meeting that he was at or was he just doing that as a bit of footage to kind of show that he has been to meetings before and he knows what it's like I suspect that they were real mm. or even the trip to the psychiatrist that he makes is obviously yeah. for the camera. Yeah. But at the same time, was his intention to go a sincere one? He didn't just want to produce footage. He probably yeah. was looking for answers as well. This was an individual who was constantly asking himself questions and he was constantly looking for self-awareness. But he wasn't articulating it with those people 
that loved him and knew him best. It seemed to be like an internal dialogue that was coming out in fractured ways during yes. his creative process of delivering these travel documentaries. Yes, and I think like many addicts, there was always the possibility that he would slip back. Mm. Even with the, the smoking, you see him pretty obsessively smoking in the early footage. He yeah. literally always has a cigarette on the go. Mm. And then we're told that he gave up because of the Taekwondo. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then later on, when he's been through a tough time, it mentions him smoking again. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's always the possibility that the addictions will pull him back, which is something that many former addicts talk about. Yeah, and I think there was a, a poignant moment David Chang was trying to have a conversation with him in what seemed to be like a basement bar or a basement restaurant. And I got the impression that they hadn't spoken to each other for a while because he'd mentioned that there were other friends that he hadn't met for nine years, as it were. Mm -hmm. And when he hung out with them again, this is David Chang saying this, he realised that they were in different places. And it just felt like in that moment, maybe he hadn't had that kind of sit-down conversation with Anthony Bourdain outside of his documentary travel. So there was that kind of thing where a lot of people were kind of, they had pieces of Anthony, but they never had the whole picture. Yes. Yeah, that was something I got from that. Yeah, that was a, a good impression that the documentary gave. I got the intention of the director that it was important to hear from the producers and the director crew of his travel shows because obviously they'd seen all of the footage. So they'd seen all of his kind of reactions in front of and behind the camera as well. I would say one other thing about the documentary is it has quite a tricky time when it documents the final couple of years of Bourdain's life because he began a new relationship with Asia Argento, the Italian actress. Okay. And um, this is where it becomes quite tricky to navigate because um, Bourdain always threw himself into everything and he became obsessive. Mm. And um, Asia Argento accused... Harvey Weinstein of raping her mm. live in front of an audience at Cannes and that yeah. was one of the things that kicked off the Me Too movement Yeah, and um, then Bourdain became very vocal about the Me Too movement it became one of his latest obsessions Yeah, and the documentary sort of has a hard time because obviously that's a very good cause that in fact more men should be behind yeah but at the same time this was perhaps a sign that he was becoming extremely obsessive again mm. and focusing all his attention onto one person yeah so in some ways even though that was a very very good cause it was a slightly negative thing for him to be so associating with yeah, I mean, I think he, the new love of his life at the time, Asia Argento, had definitely become the apple of his eye. And I think to the point he was kind of so, let's say, drilled down into her and so obsessed about it. At, at one point, he ends up commentating on her parking ability it, yes. while she's in Italy and making that a large part of the conversation that he's committing to the documentary. Uh, not the documentary um, uh, Roadrunner, but in his own footage for his own TV works. And you kind of get the feeling that he didn't know when to kind of take his foot off the gas and just kind of relax, as yeah. it were. I mean, With the people, actually. Yes. The thing that people kept saying, his friends kept saying, was that he was like a, a high school kid having his uh, like first crush mm -hmm. over and over again. So sure. in some ways, he was like an incurable romantic. Mm -hmm. He always looked for an idealised love. Mm. And 
when he met someone, he always became completely obsessed with them. Do you feel, let's say, that your eyes were opened in terms of how he inspired so many people after his death in terms of the murals that were created and the shrines that were made in his name? I do, yeah. I think it's interesting because... Um, Again, his friend, the artist, David Joe, he was a little bit disparaging about the murals. Mm. He like just saw that as celebrity culture of today. Someone dies and they get a mural. Yeah. But I don't think it's just that. I think Anthony Bourdain genuinely touched people because he was yeah. so sincere. He wasn't mm. like a celebrity playing a role. Yeah. He talked about his vulnerabilities, his hopes, his observations. It was all very personal to him mm. and that came through whatever the medium was amazingly he didn't travel for probably the first 44 years of his life yeah he went to very few places mm. but you know he read very widely mm. and he watched lots of films so yeah. he had this perception of the world mm. and then once he had the opportunity to travel i think he always had like the person at home in his mind mm. yeah 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 yeah, he also said something which um, I'm going to paraphrase. Um, it was better to like have a preconception and then go somewhere and find out you're wrong, mm. which is the attitude that made him a really good documentary maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel that even though he was nearing the end of his life, the material he was making for television was closer to not just how he saw the world, but how he wanted the world to see him. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I always felt like when he was on camera, he was um, not playing a part as such. He was just giving you the unfiltered version of himself. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of swearing in this documentary. As yeah, there is a lot well. of swearing. Yeah. But it's not like uh, Gordon Ramsay-like entertaining swearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, in a way, it's actually thought-provoking yeah. swearing in many places. Yeah, yeah. So that was my impression. If you had to say one word, it was unfiltered or seemingly unfiltered, mm. very raw, very emotionally candid most of the time yeah, and always yeah, yeah. prepared to be like that. I did really enjoy watching this. This is one of the documentaries I've probably enjoyed seeing the most out of all the ones I've watched for Dom's Docs. Mm. And it's funny because obviously he dies at the end mm. and his Friends and family are genuinely devastated. Yeah. You know, I've seen documentaries where, you know, people have to report on someone dying and they're not that sad. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But everyone on this film looked completely devastated. Yeah. Even two years after the event. He seemed to be coming away from a dark place yeah. into where his aspirations were. Yeah. But I would say even though it's obviously tragic, the documentary felt like a celebration of a life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a celebration of how to eat food, meet people, have conversations. Yeah. yeah, and even though there was a lot of darkness in his outlook and some black humour as well, mm. he seemed like somebody who had a lot of things to tell us about how to live our lives, how yeah. to be open to other cultures, how to be not judgmental. And Bourdain certainly did that. Mm. So, yeah, there's so much to say with this one. We've been talking for... Quite a while. We haven't even mentioned there's Iggy Pop in it. That's that's oh, yeah, how much yeah, there yeah. is in this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, I like... It's kind of strange because when he comes into it, he kind of gives it a bit more gravity because obviously whichever 
where you've been introduced to Iggy Pop, you lo he looks like a guy who's lived a very long and hard life and he's probably got a lot of things to say about the world. But I think discovering Iggy Pop is one of Anthony Bourdain's close friends is uh, was a bit of an eye-opener and it says quite a lot without having to say anything at all. Yeah, well, I would say his friends are a very good testament to him because everyone is thoughtful and interesting. Mm. There isn't anyone there who you think, oh, they're a bit of a lightweight. Yeah, yeah, or they're just there to get some camera points because they haven't been in the spotlight for a little while. Yeah, so he's clearly a very philosophical person, a deep thinker, mm. very creative person, a multi-talented person. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. It's a very, very worthwhile documentary, I would say. Definitely one to seek out, even if for some reason you think that food and cooking isn't your thing. I mean, it's definitely my thing, but mm. even if for some reason you think it's not, this one's worth seeing. Yeah, and uh, even, I think, from a mental health point of view, there are some dark areas, but it's addressed in, a, I think, a very sensitive way and an informative way, which helps to build a conversation about people's mental health rather than sensationalise it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think uh, we're about out of time for this week, so let's leave it there. So, thank you very much for joining me, TJ. Thank you very much. It's great dining with you over another Dom stop. Yeah, well, put that on the expenses. <laughs> <laughs> and Roadrunner, the Anthony Bourdain story, is available on HBO Max right now. I've been King Dom, this has been Dom's Docs, and we'll be back with more Geek Sweat very soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.